Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. Eh, the second preseason game was not the most exciting affair in the world, but there is a lot to talk about from the 13-13 tie against the Cincinnati Bengals. I was there in person in Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the first Falcons preseason game at home, and so I'm here to break it all down for you guys. I'm going to just share some notes, some highlights, everything that I saw, what you know, I talked with uh, the other reporters in attendance about uh, after the game, during the game, all of that good stuff. Um, so that is going to be on the docket. Today, we're going to get into a little bit of, you know, some of the notes out of Atlanta's um, practice on Sunday. But really, the majority of today's podcast is just going to be recapping Friday night's uh, game against the Cincinnati Bengals, in which we saw, I think, a lot of positives, even though the the big negative is probably the the penalties only putting up 13 points. Um, you know, it, it really was just kind of a ho-hum affair. Uh, which is why you did not get a uh, a podcast from me on Friday night. Uh, not only that, but I got back home at like 1230. <laughs> so love y'all not hitting the mics uh, at that time. And again, I kind of like for these preseason games because it's just so easy to miss in in real time. Some of these guys that, you know, you don't know too well, you're not necessarily um, familiar with how they're going to be used in certain situations. So it's a lot to take in uh, with players that, you're not 100% familiar with, which is why I like to give a, a little bit of extra time to myself and, and just kind of take a breather. And hey, it's, it's a long process. It's a ramp up process for everybody. And I did come away with some definite insights that I'm very excited to uh, share with you all. So we are going to get into that in just one second. But first, Bet Online is the number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games, which are available to play right from your phone. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your first 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. At the game... Starters are what we got to see first and foremost. And, you know, I was kind of keeping an eye on Kyle Pitch, Drake London, Bijan, of course, or Bijan. I'm going to, it's Bijan for everybody out there. That's what his family calls him. So apologies if I still kind of say Bijan habits uh, die hard, but Bijan. Um, really interested to just see how everybody looks. What was the energy? Keith Smith came out, uh, backwards hat, kind of cut off crop top. Um, Shirt, black shirt, black sunglasses. It was awesome. It reminded me of kind of like the the old um, back in black Falcons under Jerry Glanville those days with Deion Sanders. So that was really fun to see. I just kind of liked the energy. Kyle Pitts, uh, Mike Rothstein of ESPN and I were, were joking beforehand. Almost looked like, uh, for anybody who's watching Winning Time the second season or saw the first season, reminds me of the actor that's playing Magic Johnson. Just kind of like was out there with a white t-shirt tucked into to some sweatpants, just had headphones on like I do now, kind of walking around, just had great energy, a bounce in his step, laughing, joking with everybody, just kind of felt like that Magic Johnson type of kind of chemistry and vibe and all that good stuff. So that was excellent to see. Of course, he caught a pass on that first drive. I joked to, to Mike beforehand that 
they were probably going to try to get him involved on a third down and throw him an easy out route and let him catch the ball and then get a first down and boom, he's done. That's basically exactly what happened. So you guys are in good hands. We know this team uh, pretty well. Um, but I do want to talk about the starters, right? That was that was the big point for the game on Friday. Turns out, you know, they were pretty much out there just for for that one drive, but it was a solid first drive, penalties aside. But even still, I think you saw flashes of really how dangerous this offense can look and diff, uh, dangerous in kind of different ways than we saw last year. Last year, they really had to be almost like that first iteration of the Matt Ryan era under Mike Smith when they would string together these like 12 to 15 play drives, go 80 yards, eat up a ton of clock, use the ground game, all that stuff. That's kind of what that felt like to me is your, your first down play. All right, it's maybe a rollout pass. You get four easy yards, something like that, or it's a run. Second and manageable. Maybe you're in a third down, but like no sweat. We got it. They had a couple of nice plays to Mac Collins to pick up some first downs in addition to that Kyle Pitts play. So I think you kind of saw the rhythm from the starting offense that you wanted to see overall. But let's talk about some individual players, starting with number seven. Man, man, oh man, what an exciting first run that he had. I, I like he was so, so, so close. I think Eric Robinson uh, pointed this out on Twitter. If Kaderil Hodge kind of makes his block, and it's a little bit of a tricky block, but it's totally there to be made. I mean, no excuses. Like on a Sunday, on a game day Sunday, like you, you got to make that block because it probably does spring Bajan for, for six there. Uh, and I'm going to be tweeting that six for seven a whole lot uh, this season. So you guys have been forewarned. I just, I love the, the rhythm of that, the uh, the lyrical sound of, of that sentence. So that's six for seven. That would have been six for seven if Kaderil Hodge makes the block on kind of that backside safety, which is very important in this offense. And I'll get to that uh, a little bit later on. But I, I noted just I kind of like broke down Bijan's first run, just kind of diagrammed it, charted it. Here's how it went. So his first step was classic outside zone, step into the outside for the tackle. So you see that's the track that he's going to take. He finds a cutback lane behind Matthew Bergeron, which not uncommon that the left guard on a play going to the right, that's its own play, an outside zone play, like that you would make the cutback behind him because that's everybody's flowing this way. So everything kind of opens up a little bit further to the left than you think it would because everybody's running to the right. So he finds that cutback lane behind Matthew Bergeron. As soon as he hits the hole, as soon as he kind of gets back to the line of scrimmage, he makes a frontside cut again to beat the defender in the phone box, makes one more man miss, and looks like he's about to be off to the races. And that is when the safety comes up and ultimately trips him up before he's able to kind of go the distance. But in that one play, I think fans saw what we have been talking about, what I've been talking about all training camp long, which is the way that he makes these cuts, that he uses his acceleration when he got the ball, when he hit the hole, when he made those cuts. Every single one was a very specific and different movement. But when you chained them all together, it happens almost in the blink of an eye. And, and it's so cool to watch that and go back and watch it in slow motion and all that. You see the, how he chains together his kinetic energy throughout these various individual moments that by themselves are so lethal. I mean, if you're one defender, he's going to pull kind of that right move on you. And it doesn't matter what he did before or what he's about to do next. He's in that moment. He makes the right move and he makes it so quickly. And then he's on to the next one. And that is going to be so much fun to watch because anytime he gets the ball, it could go 
the distance. I mean, I, I do still wonder, does he have the breakaway speed? I mean, he's got the burst, no doubt about that. But, you know, in the NFL, like there's a lot of fast guys. So if you have to take it 60 yards, we've seen even Tevin Coleman, we've seen Michael Turner, we've seen over the years, a number of Nick Chubb happens all the time. Like, so if he's not housing, you know, 70 yard touchdowns, like Pete, Chris Johnson, that's fine. I think what we're going to see is the way that the Falcons block the run game, their opportunities here for these like six yard gains to be 15 yard gains. And if Bijan can just, if Bijan, sorry, can just hit most of these like doubles and triples or a- an occasional home run, then he will more than enough, I think, justify his pick. And the first little dose that we got of Bijan Robinson was incredible. He officially finished. Four carries, 20 yards, kind of, you know, about exactly what you would uh, you would want to see. Five yards a pop in that first run, that 12-yard gain was really something special. He almost had a touchdown on that first drive, except for the fact that Cincinnati threw the challenge flag to ultimately they got uh, their challenge denied, but it cost uh, Bajan his first touchdown. And Arthur Smith said after the game, he thought maybe that challenge flag came out a little bit late. You know, the refs had... A lot of flag issues on Friday night, so we can just chalk that up among them. Um, for his part, Bajan afterwards, you know, said that he, yeah, he felt a little nerves. He felt some jitters, some excitement, everything that you would expect. Um, he was loved it last week, getting a chance to just be out there to cheer on his teammates. Like you can tell that this dude is so excited about football, so excited to be in the NFL, um, about what the future has in store for him. But once he got that first carry, he was like, I'm in, I'm locked in, it's game, let's go. So I'm very, very excited to see what uh, Bijan does this entire season. I mean, he has the chance to be one of the most excited. Like Julio was incredibly exciting, just one of a kind. But he was almost like a purebred, like a thoroughbred, just absolute stallion. Like straight line speed, big, strong, could do it all. Bijan is a little bit different in terms of his just like electric playmaking ability. I really do think he is more in the mold of of like that Michael Vick type of anything, like anything could happen. You knew what Julio was going to do. He was just going to do it so well that like nobody could really stop him. And this is a little bit more uh, unpredictable, a little more chaotic. There's like some chaos energy to Bajan Robinson that I am so excited about and cannot wait to see. Um, but I've spent probably enough time on a guy who only got you know four carries in the game, even though he is the, uh, the main attraction right now for Atlanta. But let's talk about Desmond Ritter, the guy who needs to kind of be the guy for Atlanta this year. He was pretty solid, I, I thought, out there. You know, seven to nine, 80 yards. He did have that one pick. I think a lot of us, at least from an Atlanta perspective, would quibble that there was probably some pass interference on Scotty Miller there. Who is he? Is it Scotty Miller? Is it Scott Miller? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm hearing both. Uh, so... You know, if anybody out there knows, go ahead and write in believingfalcons at gmail.com. Just pop that email over to me and, uh, and let me know. Scott Miller, Scotty Miller, if you're listening to this, uh, clear the air for me. That would be much appreciated. But no, yeah, that, that, that play, I think we can maybe just kind of toss off to the side because as unfortunate as it was, I still think that the Desmond Ritter, by and large, did a lot of good out there on the field. Um, I mentioned some of these penalties they got. I mean, they had back-to-back penalties when they reached the four-yard line. And before Ritter's interception, I mean, they they kind of got that chunk play right back with Kadero Hodge over the middle, found a nice hole. Uh, and, and then Desmond Ritter took it himself, kind of the next play, got even closer. So 
they did a really good job, I think, of overcoming some of the early adversity that they had for themselves and specifically doing it in ways that I don't think Marcus Mariota was particularly effective at doing last year. I, I saw a lot of the very, and same with Taylor Heineke, these just driven passes, these kind of on a rope, 12 yard, 15 yard. And then, you know, when they needed to throw these quick five yard, six yard out routes, like they were putting the ball right on the money. I watched Desmond Ritter's first throw to uh, Matt Collins and it was beautiful. Uh, you know, it was right there, right on his hands, outstretched. Um, so, I mean, he did, I thought, a really good job of putting the ball where it needed to be. There, there was that throw to Kyle Pitts that was a little behind him, but that, that's fine. Again, the preseason is when you get these things uh, ironed out. And the other thing that I kind of saw from the quarterbacks, and I can go in depth on this a little bit more, but the scrambling and the mobility is going to be a real part um, for this team. And, and Ritter showed a good amount of that, um, I thought, on Friday night. And we know that he's got much more, but it was nice to, to see the moments when he started to kind of move around in the pocket because it wasn't immediately. It was not, you know, oh man, I first read, boom, I'm gone. So there's growth, there's patience. Uh, and I liked what I saw from Desmond Ritter, Kyle Pitts. already mentioned him as well, but the best thing for him was to see him take that hit on the sideline, kind of make it cut and get hit at the same time and, and get right back up. He looked fine. Um, you know, I like the, what else can I say about Kyle Pitts that, that people have not already said? Big year for him. He's got to kind of put it all together. But I do think Kyle Pitts is absolutely capable of combining what we saw in his first season and his second season. And I will continue to die on the hill that I, I think he improved so much as a blocker last year. The Falcons ran so many seven-man protections, which mean you're leaving the tight end in. And I believe that they really emphasized Kyle Pitts as a run blocker because that was going, or and even as a pass protector at times because the pass protection was so built upon the run game. Anyway, that's I digress. Um, I, I think that they needed him to do that to win games. I think they combined those two elements of his game this year, and I think he puts it all together. Uh, I'm not going to put a number on it because the number doesn't matter. I really just want to watch him game in and game out and, and just see the player. I'll try to, you know, give you the context that I can, but I'm not worried about Kyle Pitts. I am very excited about Kyle Pitts. Matt Bergeron, the rookie who is uh, filling in now that Matthew Hennessy has uh, unfortunately gone on injured reserve. Looks like he is going to be the starter. He got out there. He ran with the uh, starters on Friday night. Um, and I, I thought he played pretty well. Uh, his official PFF grade, if you're into that, uh, was 69.1. He was 16th um, overall amongst the Falcons players. I'm looking there were 41 players uh, graded offensively by PFF. So 16th, you know, not not totally just in the middle, right? He's in the upper upper half there. So I thought that he, by and large, like did well, right? You didn't notice anything wrong when he was out there. He did stay out there a little bit longer than most of the other starters. So he officially got uh, 23 snaps, uh, I believe. You know, Desmond Ritter was out there for 17 snaps according to PFF. So that shows he got a little bit more run when the uh, on the second drive uh, once Taylor Heineke came out. But I thought that, you know, for his first start at home, um, working with the uh, the starters there, like I, I really felt that he just kind of slid in and, and wasn't a problem. And with, with your offensive linemen, with your rookies, especially like not being a problem is a huge win. If you can just not be a problem, then you're an answer as far as I'm concerned on the offensive line. I mentioned on that first uh, Bajan run that he went back and cut back behind Matthew Bergeron. So 
you're already seeing, you know, some rookie chemistry there, which is still important between offensive line and running back. It may not be a quarterback receiver connection or anything like that, but then Matthew Bergeron was able to provide that cutback lane and that get that push on a Cincinnati defensive line that I thought by and large played pretty well once the starters for Atlanta came out. You know, it was kind of tough sledding for them on the ground, I, I thought, for the rest of the game. So that was really uh, good to see. It is kind of tough. You know, it's just one game for Matthew Bergeron. So it is a little bit harder to read in to that, especially, you know, Cincinnati wasn't necessarily playing their starters. So a little bit TBD still uh, for, for Matt Bergeron, but at least it, it was not disaster by any sense of the word. If anything, I thought it was a perfectly good start. Um, so there you have it. Uh, again, I'm, yeah, there's a pattern here. Even though it was a 13 to 13 tie, uh, that the Falcons had to make the tying field goal um, at the end there. It, I'm pretty optimistic with how the uh, the starters did. A um, couple of defensive guys, and then or actually, let me just do Matt Collins first real quick since we're on offense. Um, I thought he played really well. He kind of like surprised me with, with how he played. I mean, especially that one cut on the left-hand sideline where he kind of dipped back under the tackle and raced back down, picked up like, you know, seven, eight more yards. I, I really thought that that was a savvy play. This was just one play for Matt Collins. He only played 14 plays, but like the dude is extremely confident in himself. He is a one of one character wise. Like <laughs> I would trust him immensely. Like there's very few people um, who I think would be like less flustered than Matt Collins. That's just the vibe that I got from him from one conversation. But it's like, yeah, if, if it's crunch time and there's pressure, like I, I kind of feel like this dude's just like, all right, let's go. Like I'm not really phased by this. So seeing him make a big play, like in that moment, one on one, all right, let me let me beat you. Like it speaks to the competitive nature that he spoke about um, to us after practice early in training camp. So that was really good to see. I'm I'm excited. I'm kind of warming up to Matt Collins a little bit. Whereas earlier in the offseason, I know I was like, the Falcons need to get another receiver in here. Like, I, Matt Collins is okay, but like, really? Is he going to be your number two? Hey, last year, he was very, very good for Las Vegas. It, the Falcons seem to believe in him, and after Friday night, I, I think I'm starting to see why. So, he's another one. Two defenders, uh, two newcomers. Clayus Campbell, there was one play, you know, Clayus didn't play a, a ton, nor should he have, because he has just really started kind of getting back into the mix uh, in training camp. He's in that ramp up uh, phase, but I, I thought that he played very, very solidly on uh, his limited number of snaps. He only played seven snaps, but he was uh, the fourth overall player uh, graded by PFF on the Falcons defense with a grade of 85.4, um, one spot below fellow newcomer, Bud Dupree, who had an 85.7, also played seven snaps. So, very small sample size, but the thing that I wanted to note about Clay's Campbell is he had a quarterback pressure hurry that forced the quarterback out of the pocket. It should have been a sack. Um, you know, maybe if Clay's Campbell is is closer to like regular season, mid-season form, this is a sack. But again, he already flushed the quarterback out of the pocket, damn near took him to the ground, and he only played seven plays. And like the dude's been playing football for legitimately like a week and a half now at this point. He's going to be so good. I, I'm even if he's in a limited role at the very end of his career, like it's just going to be very interesting to see a player like him. He's six, eight. Ironically, he says he has a fear of heights. Go figure. Um, Clayus Campbell is a welcome addition, and he already basically made a, a, an impact on Friday night in like his first return of the field in uh, the whole offseason. So that's really, really cool. Caden Ellis was another player on the, the first two plays. Two tackles. I was like, cool, get him off the field. 
That's that's all I really need to see. He is he has some of that Rashawn Evans to his game that I didn't necessarily expect where it's like in between the tackles. He's a very good run defender, like he's very active and busy and always just seems to be around the hole that the running back is coming through, which is a great trait for your uh, your inside linebacker or, you know, in this case, probably the Sam linebacker uh, to have for your team is just that that knows for the football, because we already know what type of athlete he is and what type of pass rusher the Falcons hope that he can be this season for them. If he also can just eat up some of those uh, those tackles that Rashawn Evans, the leading tackler on the team last year, uh, consumed. I mean, he had three tackles and he played 11 snaps. That's very, very solid. Uh, for comparison, DeMarco Hellams played 45 snaps and he had four tackles. So yeah, I know I know. Caden Ellis is a linebacker and DeMarco Hellams is a safety. So yeah, you're hoping that your linebacker has more tackles. But once again, I, I think that Caden Ellis has a chance to be a very, very underrated signing, just like Matt Collins has a chance to be a very, very underrated signing um, come the season. And that is what Terry Fondo kind of made his bread on in New Orleans. And it's one of the reasons I was so excited for him to come here in Atlanta. If he does this, I mean, guys, we're, we're, we are talking a division title. Like if these guys pan out, if Matt Collins is better than expected, if Hey Nellis is better than expected, if David Onyemata is what we expect, you know, if Jesse Bates is what we expect, then th- this team is definitely a playoff caliber team and not just one that we expect and hope to make the playoffs, but like one that is probably worthy of being in consideration and contention for the playoffs. So that is awesome. Um, I should, I guess, note who were the top guys that PFF did uh, rank because some big names on that list, uh, starting off with Drake London and Desmond Ritter tied at number one for the offense. Ever heard of them? Uh, now the offensive grades overall were not nearly as high as like some of the top defensive grades, which I'll take, frankly, given what the offense, I mean, the offense still almost put up 400 yards of total offense and they had 13 penalties. That's insane. But Drake London and, and Desmond Ritter tied with 78.4 was their overall grade. Mac Hollins just mentioned him finished third, uh, 77.4 Parker Hesse. Super duper underrated. I mean, we want to talk about just people we take for granted. Parker Hesse is so, I think, important. Watch me say that. Watch him not make the 53. But I, I believe that he's going to because he's just kind of the glue guy. He's like the quintessential football glue guy for this team. Um, and he always just seems to be doing his job, which is great. Number uh, five or tied for fifth, Tyler Vrabel and uh, Jake Matthews. I thought Jake Matthews played really solidly. I know he was just out there for a little bit. But like, again, no notes. And that's that's a really good sign uh, when you're talking offensive linemen. Defensively, these guys, the top guys, very high grades. DeMarco Hellams played 45 snaps. He earned a 92.1 overall defensive grade. That is legitimate, guys. That is a very, very good performance for DeMarco Hellams. I mean, of course, we saw the interception. He had four tackles. I mean, guy, like he is working his way up the depth chart. And I, like the Falcon safety room, are you kidding me? If DeMarco Hellams become something. And I already saw, you know, Mike Rothstein in his uh, notes after Sunday's practice said that DeMarco Helms was working in uh, there with, with Jalen Hawkins um, kind of in that second team defensive uh, capacity. So that is, is huge uh, for Atlanta and, and in there with Mike Abernathy um, as well. So if DeMarco Helms, who now has two interceptions this preseason does come along, that's great. He led the way uh, PFF grade wise 
Delonte Scott, uh, the outside linebacker, was second with 98.1 grade. Then Bud Dupree and Calais Campbell, three and four. Uh, I mentioned them earlier. And then Jesse Bates was fifth with a 79.7 at free safety. So again, a lot of newcomers on that list. And that is really, really good to see for Atlanta's defense because those guys are playing the part. And then you've got, I think, players like D. Alford who continue to get better and continue to really play well. And he made a nice breakup in the end zone um, as well. And you guys will actually hear an interview with D. Alford at the end of this podcast. I definitely should have plugged that at the uh, top of the show, but I'm going to, I talked to D. Alford at the, uh, or after the game in the locker room, and I'm going to plug that uh, here at the end of this show. So keep on listening. Once I'm done, you'll get the uh, D. Alford interview. I thought it was really um, interesting and really kind of enlightening. He talked about some of the very specifics and nuances about the cornerback position and eye discipline and things like that. And he taught me a thing or two. So I would highly encourage um, listening to that at the end of this show. So be sure to check that out. Um, let's get to my second topic, which was the sloppiness in the penalties. And we don't need to uh, touch on this for too, too long because it was a preseason game. But it, like right from the jump, I mean, a penalty on the opening kick, penalty on the very first offensive play, it, it just kind of almost felt like the refs chose this game to get their warm up in too. Like it was overly tight. It felt unnecessarily stringent and it um just killed all of the momentum right and that's the last thing you want to see is is the refs kind of stop the flow hurt the flow of a, a game but by and large i do think the falcons did a very good job of overcoming those penalties that's just not a way you want to live during the season so arthur smith was right to really really kind of harp on that post game nobody directly asked him a uh, a question with with the lone example again of of Mike and he noted to me that last year in their second preseason game the Falcons also had like 13 or 14 penalties so he was like there's something about this second preseason game and they ended up finishing with exactly 13 penalties uh, in this game and he brought that up to to Arthur afterwards and he kind of no commented because I think he thought Mike was trying to get him to comment on the uh, the refs and and criticize the refs but Arthur did not miss an opportunity to bring it up on his own. And I think that's right. I, I think that the pre-snap penalties, uh, of course, you know, anytime you have a false start um, or a delay of game or, or anything like that, an illegal shift, um, too many men in the huddle, those pre-snap penalties before the clock's moving or, or just not even in the bang-bang moment of a play, like that you can live with. You got to coach it a little bit differently, but just the mental errors, that will drive a coach crazy, Arthur Smith included. So he was saying, yes, that that is thing that we need to clean up. We need clean ops uh, is kind of what he likes to, to say, a clean operation. And if you look back last year, there was no cleaner team operationally than the Atlanta Falcons. They had the fewest penalties um, in the league. They had four per game and only 1.3 of those were pre-snap per game. So again, this is a team that did not shoot itself in the foot last year. It definitely shot itself in the foot multiple times on Friday night, it probably sh the Falcons probably should have had like, I don't know, 27 points in this game and they ended up with 13. So that is obviously a massive Achilles heel if it crops up in the regular season. I don't think necessarily the penalties are so much as maybe the red zone offense. Like that is something just with a quarterback who's getting his his feet wet and his feet under him. Um, that is an area that's going to be challenging maybe early on unless the Falcons have a very good idea. And I'm sure that they do 
for how they want to operate in that space. Um, and maybe that is where the flexibility of their running backs, their three-headed attack with the size of Drake Lemon, Kyle Pitts really comes into play. But file that away, that they didn't punch it in, that the red zone, even though it was pass interference or, or what have you, they just didn't get the get it in across the goal line. I think you get my point. So penalties played a, a big role in that because of the back-to-back there. But last year, they were very clean. I don't want to read too, too much into this. Um, so don't panic yet. Um, but speaking of panicking, let's go to uh, the freak out or fine segment. So somebody from uh, Friday's game who, you know, maybe had a rough outing and it, are we freaking out about it or is it all fine? Uh, for this one, we're going with Jalen Mayfield. And last week I was fine with Young Way Koo missing two extra points. I think uh, Friday night proved me right. This time it's freak out time about uh, Jalen Mayfield. That sack that he gave up, I thought it was a blitzing linebacker. And I went back and, and rewatched it. it. It was, but it was outside of Mayfield. It was, it was on his outside. So there was a tight end, but he was releasing into a route, but they had a back in protection back there. You always are going to block the most immediate threat. So you're going to block the guy closest to the quarterback. So Jalen Mayfield had a defensive end lined up on his outside shoulder in a normal, just like seven technique. and he then decides to just kind of leave that guy and try to go for the outside blitzing backer that the running back was stepping to. And that just leaves the defensive end to run straight free to Taylor Heineke. And it's the easiest sack you'll ever get in the world. So like this is year three. I know he wasn't on the field last year, but that's a mental rep. That is a mental rep. And he, he blew that rep completely. It was a very rough night for him. Mike reported um, in his notes after uh, Sunday's practice that Jalen Mayfield was working with the third team offensive line at left tackle that Josh Miles had kind of started working with the twos. We'll see if that continues, but I take that as a sign that the coaches kind of saw what I saw as well from Jalen Mayfield on Friday, and it was not good. At this point in his career, there, there has not really been a bright spot for him, so you just have to wonder, all right, the team parted ways with Michael Walker. It's clearly now that was a a different regime that drafted him. So this is kind of one of their own. But right now, the the returns are not there. And uh, unless there is kind of a significant turnaround, I I think we see where this is headed. And I think that that he was working with the third team on Sunday is very telling. Um, And I'll, I'll leave it there. But yeah, I would I would freak out now at this point um, for for Jalen Mayfield because I I just don't know if it, it's going to ever come together for him here in Atlanta um, based on what I saw on Friday. So final topic uh, for today. And then again, you will get my uh, interview after the game with D. Alford, who I thought played extremely well once again. Just a, a couple other news and notes that I had throughout the, uh, the afternoon. Um, kind of going back and, and re-watching the game. I continue to be just so amazed at how this offense is structured. Um, they do such a good job of creating purely balanced looks on offense. And I know that I'm saying this and take it all with a huge grain of salt because this is the preseason. And Arthur Smith has said, like, we're, we're showing our, like our most basic concepts. But this is something that if you do go watch their regular season games when they do all matter closely, there's a rhyme and a reason to every single formation that they're in, how they use it. And a lot of times it is 
giving the offense a huge advantage. And when they do these purely balanced sets, and maybe it'll be you know a tight end on each side, receivers split and tight, and then they're in the pistol with a running back, right? How many times have we seen that? The defense has no read on, on which way the strength of that play is. So they have to be in a basically a starting point at, at neutral. They cannot get a single edge on where the play might go. The Falcons know what the play is. They already, based on just that knowledge alone, have a slight head start on the defense. And it's these incremental, tiny little advantages that Arthur Smith, like all the good coaches in the NFL, I believe, build into the game and develop as the game goes along that gives their team over time an edge in the outcome. And and that's why we've seen the Falcons stay in these games that, you know, against teams that they probably on paper shouldn't be in games against. The balance that this offense shows is is really, really cool. But I bring that up because the double teams that the uh, the offensive line works on and creates, and this is where I really love Parker Hesse because he is almost an extension of the offensive line with the way that he works with them in these double teams. It's beautiful. I mean, when when these runs are working, it is pure art watching, you know, be it Drew Dahlman and... Matthew Bergeron double team and then Drew Dahlman work up to the linebacker and seal off that second lane to allow that one cut that then gets you to the safety level. Like you see that all the time. And if you watch like almost any other NFL offense, it's, it's a rarity that it's working that in sync because it's hard enough to just like get your first level blocks, right. And double team it and, and get movement on the line of scrimmage. The Falcons don't just get the movement initially. They then keep that movement going because of their ability to move up to the linebacker level and the safety level and, and get those guys on the run and get leverage on them. That's where the Bijan part of this is so fun and fascinating to think about. But that was something that really came through on a night where I, I didn't think the offensive line had its best night. I did think that that aspect was pretty on point and that is very um, good for the future. Uh, another thing, the quarterback mobility I mentioned, but I, I noted that here. I circled it. Um, that's going to be such an excellent like fourth option, you know, because think of all of the different elements of this offense the defenses have to work to contain or think about or just you know even be aware of. It's going to be very very easy to lose track of Desmond Ritter, and all it takes is him to step up and out of the pocket, and boom, there's like six yards. Uh, it's going to be so so nice on like a third and four. When the defense just loses sight of him and, you know, he's already rolling out to his left and he just tucks it and boom, runs right out of bounds, picks up seven yards, bing, bang, boom, let's keep going. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, and you saw that from Taylor Heineke as well. Uh, LaCale London, number 72 on the defensive line. I have really, really enjoyed watching him these first two games. He's usually in there in that late third quarter, fourth quarter. So in this final preseason game, he'll probably be out there a good bit. Uh, so if you're looking for somebody to keep an eye on, he has really, really caught my eyes. He's a little bit older. I believe he's 26. So he's been, um, I think he was in the XFL last year. But I don't know. He's just got a nice uh, athleticism to his game for somebody who's like 6'3", like I think in his 290s. He has sometimes dropped back in coverage. Uh, he has generated some pressure in each game. He has just been somebody who I didn't know anything about coming into the year who has really just kind of caught my eye both times. So I wanted to mention him here officially on the podcast. If you're looking for anybody to just keep an eye on late in the game, number 72 on the defensive line, Mikhail London uh, has been really, really fun to watch. Natron Brooks, again, my guy. He, These two are probably the two guys that I'm rooting for the most in camp to just make the practice squad or you know 
who knows? Um, maybe even more than that. But I just thought Natron Brooks, again, shows just a real um, enthusiasm, tenacity. I know the defense attack and aggressive, that's what D'Alford told me in the locker room, and every defender has echoed that. But he almost embodies that to me, just when you watch him around there on the field, running around. Uh, Mike noted that he was getting some looks uh, inside today at practice on Sunday. So maybe the team likes what they've seen from him as well. But he's just like a little jitterbug, kind of that what I thought Devon Witherspoon uh, would be for Atlanta. He's in Seattle now, obviously and unfortunately. But like a little poor man's version is kind of what I've seen um, from Natron Brooks more in the demeanor than the actual play. But still, for a, uh, a defensive back, a competitive and fiery demeanor and spirit can get you a long way. You know, as, as long as you work and develop the other stuff, I, I really, again, I've liked what I've seen from, uh, from Tron Brooks. Uh, so I would keep an eye on number 35 as well, if, if that's somebody you want to watch. Um, speaking of watching and, and keeping an eye on, I'm really curious uh, what they're doing with Arnold Epicady. He uh, has now been like going late into these preseason games uh, in both uh, matchups. So I can't really tell what's what's going on there. He played 21 snaps, which a lot more than a lot of the starters. I I definitely wouldn't consider him a starter, and I don't think I necessarily considered him a starter going into camp, just given you know the investment and the difference in how I think they're going to use defensive ends and, and linebackers in Ryan Nielsen's scheme, and, and he is a tweener, and I don't really know how he fits in, and I think the Falcons are kind of trying to figure that out, so maybe... This is a situation where his role has changed and because the role has changed, his talents don't line up so specifically with the new role and therefore he's a little bit further down the depth chart. You know, it's a little bit like for those of you that do play Madden and I almost always hate comparing real life football to Madden because it is just so different. But this is a good analogy, I think. If you like take your offensive your right guard or whatever and put them over at left tackle they're going to go from like an 81 to a 76 because it's just like a totally different position they're not going to totally get worse but like they're going to drop off a little bit that's what i think is maybe happening here you're just changing up his role and and therefore he's slipped down the depth chart a spot or two or maybe it's not and i'm really curious to see what they do in the third preseason game because that may give us a, a better picture here but He's not playing poorly. You know, I, I think Arnold Epicady has looked okay when he's been out there, but you got to take that with a huge grain of salt because of the guys he's going up against. So that is just where it's it's odd to me that your your second round pick last year is now playing like late in the fourth quarter in, in your preseason game. So I I need to need to kind of dig into that one a little bit more and I'll report back to y'all. But keeping an eye on that. And then Last but not least, Marco Helms. I just want to end on this note. Man, what a what a preseason this guy is putting together. Uh, I mean, like he has been everywhere. He may be kind of the the rookie star of of. Well, no, that's insane. John Robinson exists, um, but Marco Helms is kind of like that definitely runner up. And any other year, you know, he would he'd be getting the Oscar. Um, but unfortunately, he's running up against one of the best. So good on you, Demarco Helms. You're earning everything that you get. Uh, keep making those plays because the play that you made to get that interception was perfect. It's exactly what you want your defensive backs to do on scramble drills, right? When quarterbacks scramble, wide receivers are taught, hey, find your quarterback, help him, get your hands up, go be his target. Well, that's also an opportunity for your quarterback to lose sight of where the defense is. And on this play in particular, 
DeMarco Helms is kind of in no man's land and he drifts and reads the quarterback's eyes and just kind of stays a little bit out of his vision and then breaks as soon as the ball is thrown and, and makes the pick. The ball is a little behind the receiver and a little closer to a Helms than it should have been. But still, can't fault him for that. You can credit him for getting to the right place to put him himself in position to make that big play. And that's what he did. So again, kudos to him. Probably the player of the game. Uh, he may be the player of the preseason so far uh, is DeMarco Hellams. That will do it for me today. Again, the Falcons tied 13-13 with Cincinnati Bengals. As for what is next, the Falcons will play their final preseason game Thursday night. So you can look for another podcast coming Thursday morning. Uh, lining up the guest right now, but I will have somebody for y'all hoping to maybe get one more national media member on um, before the season really starts to just get more of a national perspective on the Falcons now that we are deeper into the preseason and about where the uh, start of the season actually is. So we'll see if I if I can land that one. Um, if not, probably do another training camp check-in and just get a vibe for this team heading into the final preseason game. And then we will do a roster um, cut-down episode and just preview all of that. I think Mike Rothstein, um, who has really been mentioned a lot on this episode, uh, but I think he and I are going to have a um, kind of roster cut-down debate, discussion, just go through a lot of scenarios. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. But that will do it for me today. Uh, today's episode, as always, was presented by Bet Online. Please follow me on Twitter, at Will McFadden. Check out our show on YouTube, Believe in Falcons. Like and subscribe. Spread the word um, if you can. I'm going to be tagging the D. Alford interview on to the end of this. So please stay tuned for that. It was a really, really good one. Uh, but that will do it for me this week. Until next time, everybody, take care. All right. It's nice to meet you, man. I'm Will. Um, so another, another nice play in the uh, end zone, making that pass break up. You know, second preseason game in a row, you're making an impact. I mean, how... How different is this year compared to last year, just in terms of your comfort, your ability to kind of go out there and really focus on different plays because you've got a feel for everything else going on? I mean, yeah, like you said, I got a feel uh, from year one and I'm able to get in and get more reps. You know, uh, it's all started at practice and, you know, uh, preparation. So when you prepare for uh, them type of plays, you know, when they come your way, you're able to make them. But yeah, just uh, being being able to be more confident mentally, and, you know, the game slowing down as a whole, and yeah. I'm able to you know react faster and see things before it happens and, and make the plays that come my way. I have just loved watching the secondary as a whole all throughout the camp and the preseason because it just feels a, a lot more man coverage, which is kind of like fun. But then just the tenacity, the aggressiveness that you guys are playing through the ball, playing through the hands of the receivers, is that really a, a coaching point and emphasis this oh, yes, year sir. more than last year? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Man, I mean, hey, attack and aggressive. That's the mindset. That we're gonna have as a whole unit, you know, as a defense, and, and in order to be that as a defensive back, you gotta have your hands on the receivers, you know, stop them from from uh, getting free releases on the routes, and you know, making plays when the ball in the air, really if it's a, a pass breakup or interception. So yeah, that's the uh, the main point, uh, just being aggressive, just attacker, and just attacking the ball when the ball is in the air. And and then there's been a lot of newcomers to the defense as well. I mean, what has on the one hand like the infusion of just new 
life, new blood in this locker room and, and on that side of the ball done, but then also just, you know, the level of talent has kind of increased. And how does it feel this year just, you know, I mean, it's just all this coming together as one, you know, that's the main thing. Uh, we're going to need each and every one in the uh, defensive back room. We all know that. So we know uh, who, no matter who number get called, you want to be able to step up and, and, and just, just do you and make plays. So, yeah, we got a great group of guys and young group, older guys. It's a mixture, you know what I'm saying? So uh, that's the type of thing that you want. I feel like I'm a young corner. I'm able to, you know, got guys like Jesse, uh, AJ Terrell. I got guys like that I can look up to and model my game out there. And, you know, it's just coming as a whole, as a unit. That's the, uh, the main thing. Well, so what, what are you still working on in your game? I mean, obviously, you're, it's working out there. So what are, what are you trying to add? What are you I building? Mean, I mean, but still, it's always, you know, room to improve every day. You can get better every day. It's a lot of things, you know, that uh, the fans and, you know, they don't see that, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but other than that, I feel like I need to continue to work on, you know, uh, my footwork, uh, my eyes. Sometimes I can have bad eyes, the pins, you know. But little things like that, it, it, the little things, you know. What does bad eyes mean? Just like something catches your attention or your, or like when the receivers are slow yeah, so release? You can have bad eyes as in if you in zone, mm -hmm. you stare at the quarterback for too long. Gotcha. Or if you in man, you can break. Instead of finding the receiver, you trying to find the ball, you know, the quarterback throwing it to the receiver. So yeah. you got to find the receiver It's first. just discipline. D yeah, every step it's, of the it's way. the little things that yeah. can can keep can if you do it the right thing, you know, you can get an interception. But just because you have bad eyes, you he was able to catch it. Yeah. Little stuff like that, you know, yeah. that the fans don't know that we actually had to, you know, go through as a player. So So when they say bang bang, it literally can be like, Oh, who did one thing wrong one at thing the beginning wrong. of the play and at the end yeah, it ends up fast, as fast. that's so it's, cool. It's man. Little things that add up to big things. Yeah. So yeah, I wanna continue to, you know, improve on all the little things and different stuff like that. That's so cool. D, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.